Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 3rd September 2020 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong Stories has been unable to have many live shows since the outbreak of COVID-19, and we're coming to the end of our live recordings. We do have a few more, and we'll be publishing them for you to hear in the coming weeks. But we also have something a bit different to share with you for our first story. Our second story is more familiar and is from Austin, a story of changes and traditions. But before we get to today's stories, a huge hello goes out to our local Hong Kong listeners. We love you like the thunder of the past week loves lightning. Take care of yourselves. Thundery hellos go out to our worldwide listeners as well. This week, particularly to listeners in Boardman in Oregon in the USA, Aman in Jordan, and Vilnius in Lithuania. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. A little while ago, we were approached by a local student, Vanya Chow. She explained for some time now she's been working with refugees and asylum seekers and has become fascinated by their stories of the challenges they face living in Hong Kong. Vanya wanted to share these stories to help humanize an often overlooked community. She worked with Refugee Union here in Hong Kong to interview and write these stories. The following is the first of Vanya's stories she wrote from what she heard. We'll be podcasting a few more of these stories in the coming weeks, along with some older stories and the stories from the June live show. Vanya's writing project is called Neighbors in Limbo. And here, with the first of these stories, is Vanya herself reading Atif's story. As Atif stood in the hallway, he held the wooden door ajar with one hand and his phone in the other. Within the room behind him, his wife and four children lay sound asleep, their limbs all entangled together in a comforting mess. Relieved by this normal sight, Atif began dialing on the little screen that flashed pitch black in the hallway. His stubby fingers poked at the numbers slowly, as if a single mistype would have drastic consequences. When he was satisfied with the chain of numbers, he pressed the final button and held the receiver up to his ear. Atif held his breath as the static receiver groaned its monotonous beeps, each seeming to last longer as he grew increasingly impatient. Finally, the beep stopped and a woman's voice came crackling through. Hello? The slow drawl of the O and the silent H. Her accent in English was unmistakable to Atif despite not having heard it for a long time. Atif did not answer, but pressed the receiver closer to his ear as he did not want to miss even the sound of the woman's breath. Hello, who is this? Atif paused, drawing a short gasp of air in through his teeth. It's me, Ma, it's Atif, I... The phone's monotonous beep returned. The woman on the other end had slammed the phone down before Atif could finish speaking. Atif shook his head, pocketing the phone with an exasperated sigh. This was not the first time he had been ignored. He had been receiving this treatment for the last 20 years, but he thought it was worth another try. 
His family lay beside him, sound asleep, as Atif lay tossing and turning between the sheets. It was 4.30 in the morning. The sleep still had not graced him. The sheets were sticky. Elbows and knees of his family poked to him awkwardly from all angles. Engines in the street grumbled occasionally, sending a dull vibration down his weary back. Atif lay silently. He thought of his mother, the only person in the world who would not talk to him, the only person that would slam a phone down without hesitation, yet the person he wanted to talk to the most. It wasn't that the two had a fight or that his mother despised him. Instead, it was because both had such an assured belief that it drew a rift between them. Religion. His mother was a Muslim, he a Christian. He wondered about her reasoning for cutting him out of her life. Perhaps she was influenced by the disgust that her community held for Christians. Failure in that she had raised a son who believed in the wrong things. Or perhaps it was out of a fear that the sound of his voice would corrupt the minds of his siblings and family that still remained. Atif could only speculate, for he knew he would probably never be told. His mother was not the only one to regard him as a traitor. In fact, where he grew up, this exile was the norm. If Atif and his family were to return to his home now, it would cause a lot of pain for many people. Anyone who interacted with him, a Christian, knowingly, would be punished. Including his wife and children, who were not even citizens of his home country, would be subject to the death penalty without question. It would be a public execution one that left bloodstains on the streets to serve as a reminder of the consequences of wrongdoing. These boundaries and social expectations clearly warranted the necessity of his departure. Even so, the decision was one that he often rethought. He missed his country's lawless freedom. This may seem contradictory, but the lack of rulership in daily life was something that Atif deeply cherished. He enjoyed being able to cross the street whenever he wanted to, without being a criminal for jaywalking. He liked the idea of natural parks and public areas being free for access without restriction. He relished the custom that there were no lanes separating bikers. The contrast between his childhood home and current residence posed initial challenges in his adaptation to the well-regulated Hong Kong society. Atif loved Hong Kong because the city accepted him and provided him a temporary safe haven despite having no obligation to do so. But within this appreciation was one frustration that persisted since the day he arrived 20 years ago. The laws that forbade him to work. As a skilled construction worker in his home, one who could maneuver bulldozers and cranes and lorries with ease, Atif knew that he was capable of earning money. He did not want to have to rely on the hard-earned dollars of Hong Kong citizens. Those funds should be saved for those who were physically incapable of supporting themselves, he believed. He wanted to support his family and his children off his own sweat, pay taxes, be a member of the economy, rather than the burden that he currently was. His inability to support himself financially was one that vexed him as he sat in the doctor's room. The room was silent with the bubbling tension of an ease as the doctor sighed and propped his wrinkled forehead on his vein-lined hands. Beneath the table, 
A chief twisted his hands, hating the silence, but not wanting to hear the bad news that would break it. I, I'm sorry, the doctor faltered. We are simply unable to continue your treatment. His eyes could not meet Atif's. Atif, it's your medical card. The doctor nodded slowly, leaning back in his seat. It only has limited coverage. If you want to continue receiving treatment, it will have to come out of your own pocket. Oftentimes, when faced with a difficult decision like this, we would pause, consider our options, and finally come to a conclusion after long days of deliberation. But for Atif, he already knew what was to follow. He didn't really have a choice to make. No matter how life-threatening or urgently dire his conditions were, he was not going to receive treatment. Having witnessed many obstacles in his life, many of which he could not overcome, the sense of powerlessness was one that he had accepted. It traced his footsteps like a shadow. Having sat through this Ferris wheel of expectation and disappointment many times in his life, Atif's heart was already hardened against the pain. Atif sat silently in his plastic chair, his fingers now at peace. He nodded slowly, thanked the doctors for his services, and left the room without saying a single word. It was clear to both what his answer would be. No treatment. There was no explanation needed. As Atif returned home, his deep appreciation for the city of Hong Kong dwindled. His medical condition was life-threatening. Yet the government had just told him that they did not care if he died, that they would rather sit and watch him suffer. Perhaps in the end, it all returns to his inability to let go of the freedom that he was accustomed to in his home country. The lack of flexibility in Hong Kong's rules was something that he did not understand. He always thought that in a better developed, well-educated, world-renowned city like Hong Kong, the preservation of human life, regardless of its nationality, would always be of top priority. Atif faced many large-scale barriers. Yet his most memorably difficult moment was one that occurred on an ordinary day. His little girl pointed at something in the freezer of the supermarket. Pa, my schoolmate said that this tastes amazing. Can we get one? Atif looked up from his grocery basket. She was pointing at a tub of family-sized ice cream in the flavor strawberry. Her large eyes looked up at her father's anxious face. Atif was at a loss for words. With his food card, which limited the types of goods he could purchase to fresh produce, meats, and other basic necessities, he knew that the dessert was out of the question. Yet, he did not know how to explain this to his five-year-old daughter. Without a word, Atif clenched his food cart tighter in his fist and shook his head at his daughter, aware that she turned back to look at the ice cream just one more time as they walked away. These events were not one-off occasions in Atif's life. The ignored calls to his family, the oppression of external situations, and the disappointment of his loved ones all came and went like a sweeping tide. Having stayed afloat in this ruthless surf for many years, Atif had characteristics that many of us don't learn to master in our entire lifetimes. He learned how to let go. I tell myself, 
Atif expressed in the interview. I cry, I sick, I everything is God's plan. I just live with the hope that someday my time will come. Although he prefers not to put labels of sentiment on people and places in the fear that one day they will be taken away, like his mother. Atif does see Hong Kong as his home today and has no plans of moving away in the near future. He expressed that however many challenges he faces on a day-to-day basis, he's grateful and content for being able to escape the predicaments of his hometown. As Atif expressed, his only wish for the future is that his children will be able to not have to live his life. Why? Atif said, because I made a choice to be a Christian, to leave my country, but for them, this decision of being a refugee was made for them by me. There are so many different stories out there and so many storytellers. Vanya's story is different from our usual because she's not telling her own story, but somebody else's. If you have a story to tell, especially if you're a student, there's a place for you in our Student Story Slam. This will be the second year of Hong Kong Stories, inviting students to come up on stage and tell their true first-person stories. Our Student Story Slam this year will take place at the end of October, and any student-aged children in Hong Kong can join in. Find details of how at our website, hongkongstories.com. The theme this year is Seconds, and we cannot wait to hear the stories Hong Kong students come up with. Our second story today is from Austin, from May 2018. And here is Austin. I've been thinking about Chinese culture for a long time, all my life. Uh, My parents were originally from China and moved to Taiwan and moved to the United States. When I was little, they would tell me, hey, you've got to appreciate and value and learn Chinese culture. You can say, I'm American, which I did, but nobody else is going to think you're American. They see you're Chinese. You better learn it. And uh, it could be a matter of life and death in the suburbs. I took a bus to school, and in the front of the bus, that's where the weaker students would sit and then the, the badasses would sit in the back of the bus, and then we were kind of the prey in the front. And at various moments, I'd be sitting there just minding my own business in here. Tang! Tang! Me? There'd be a guy back there going, Hey, I'm Chinese! So what do you, what do, you do? I just went like, Oh, I'm American! <laughs> and then he said, I'm going to kill you, man! You're dead. You're dead. I thought, like, why am I, why am I dead? What did I, what did I do? So I'd bring this back to my mom. And I said, this is like a real situation. These guys are no joke. They play sports and stuff, and they thrive in the back of the bus. Uh, what am I going to do? And my mom said, no, why, why are they picking on you because you're Chinese? You, you just tell them, I'm proud of my culture. You, you tell them the Chinese people invented the compass and, and, and gunpowder and kites. You tell them that. 
I said, Mom, you're, you're going to get me killed, Mom. They want to beat me up more if I say that. She said, I don't understand. Why do they want to beat you up more if, you, if the Chinese invented kites? Are, are they jealous? Or I was like, no, Mom. You know, her view of culture was from the, a very aerial perspective, abstract. And from that level, it's very inspired and grand. But I was on the ground. And I needed backup. I needed support. I needed somebody who understood my situation. And I remember one, one time uh, in these suburbs where we were one of the only Chinese families out there. I, I had made an American friend, a real American friend that lived down the street. And sometimes he would come over. And once when he dropped by, my father was playing a cassette tape of some Chinese opera. And that didn't happen often, but I had heard it before. But my friend had never heard it before, and he just had an immediate reaction. He said, oh, my God, what is that? It sounds like pots and pans and people screaming, you know. And for our household, that was a very novel and uh, an unexpected description. I just started cracking up. I was laughing, and I started mimicking it, too. You know? And we were laughing. We were really enjoying ourselves. And I heard my father's slippered shuffling. And I thought that that's faster than normal. It's usually... And he came out here and he said, what's so funny? I said, well, it sounds like pots and pans and people, people laugh, people screaming. And, and, and he said, that is your culture. That's Chinese opera. You should appreciate it. Said, How do I appreciate pots and pans and people screaming? He said, respect your culture. And he shuffled his way back into his office. And it was just confusion and misunderstanding and you can't, you know, you tell a kid, appreciate your culture immediately. What, what, does, what are you supposed to do with that? He wasn't given any, not given any tools. You need to be ushered through the doorway of culture and inspired with patience and, and have someone learn. But uh, this was just like being pushed through the door and, and, and left on your own. So I thought, I'm not going to do it that way. I won't do it that way. So uh, much later, after I had become a father, we moved here to Hong Kong, and this uh, kind of cultural transfer was going to be something front and center now. And uh, I remember once sitting in Saingpun at a park, and I was watching, just people watching, all kinds of stuff happens over there, and then there was this one father and son, they were running around the football pitch, the white rectangle of the football pitch, and they were laughing, and the boy was laughing, the father was laughing, and it was just such a beautiful moment, this kind of bonding moment. But then the kid was trying to beat the father, which was normal, you know. And, but he's just a kid. He can't outrun a grown man. So he starts cutting the corners and running faster, and his arms are flailing all over the place. And then the father's just suddenly, the attitude changes. He says, Fanley, Fanley, Fidey Fanley, come back here. Come back here. Come back here. You didn't take the corner. You didn't follow the line. You have to follow the line. I thought, why? Why does a six-year-old have to follow that? Why does he have to hit the corners? This is not an Olympic event. Is this going to help him later in life if he hits these corners? And I thought, this is, part of, this is actually part of Chinese tradition also, this kind of shadow side a little bit, where rigidity and formality and, and following all the rules and order takes, takes over and pushes fun and direct enjoyment out of, out of the room. And I thought... 
I'm not that, I've never been particularly interested in this part of the culture. I'm going to leave that one by the curb, just say goodbye and, and move along. I don't mind leaving that alone. And during that time, one of the big projects for our household was my son had to get caught up with Chinese. He was eight, seven or eight at that time. And uh, he was working on his characters. And if you've seen kids working on their characters, or if you've learned yourself, they have these gridded pieces of paper on semi-translucent paper. And even the squares have a vertical and a horizontal dashed line. So you have squares within the squares. And little kids will build their characters like constructions in there, portioned, balanced inside each of the squares. And he was working on the character for Ko, which is a character for mouth, which you find in uh, characters that have to do with eating and speaking. And it's like all Chinese characters, it has a specific order, a specific construction, one vertical and then a linked horizontal and vertical with a little hook at the end, and the box closes. One, two, three. And that's how you do it. So at this point, I had been kind of keeping track, checking on his work, because his workbooks were coming back with a sea of red circles and X's, as the teacher pointed out, every missing dot, every line that was slightly off uh, vertical. And I reminded him, like, well, why don't you work your way through this? He had to do 10. And uh, remember, one, two, three, and take it away. And I thought it was going to be a few minutes for him to get through 10 of them. But within a few seconds, he said, I'm done. And I looked over, and instead of a sequence of very balanced rectangles in the middle of other rectangles, I saw, like, these potato forms that would just appear (laughs) in surprisingly new locations in each of the boxes as you moved along. And then kind of... The worst part was they were just done with one, <laughs> one, one stroke. So I said, what happened? What happened, to the, what happened to the one, two, three? What happened to one, two, three? I said, looks the same. I said, doesn't, doesn't look. And it's way faster. I said, no, yeah, but it's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. He said, looks the same. No, it does. yes, it does. No, it does. Hey, look, listen, listen, it's not the same. Each one of those strokes has its own character. It has its beginning. And I said, why? Said, because... Well, you know, uh, actually, because these things come from a brush stroke. A brush stroke at the beginning, and because we're not even using brushes. I said, true, true, okay. Hey, you know what? Why don't we use, why don't we use a brush? Why don't we use a brush and ink? And I had a brush and ink, ink stone. This was the teachable moment. This was his self-directed inquiry. This was, this was the time that we could seize upon this, and this would, real learning was going to happen. And so we brought out all the stuff, and he started working on it, but it became very clear that there wasn't going to be much teaching going on, but there was a lot of ink. It was all over his hands, on his face, on his sleeves. I said, all right, all right, okay, you know what? Why, why don't you just write one more line of coal, and then let's just call it a night. It's, getting, it's actually getting kind of late, all right? And so he went through it again. I thought now he should have the proper foundation. He's been exposed all these different resources. Now we're going to see the products of all this effort. But uh, again, a few seconds, I'm done. I look down at it again. And there was one, two, three, four. There was one, two, and there was one again. Where's the one, two, three? Where's the one, two, three? Why, 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 don't, you, why don't you have that? And he said, I just like to do it my way. 
And something about, up to this point, that kind of shadow side of the culture had been on the outskirts and not really involved in the center of action. But something in the way that he said that, I just want to do it, kind of invited that shadow part of the culture (laughs) to the table. And he had a few words, and it kind of went like this. He said, you know, you, you like to do it your way. You know how long Chinese writing the history is? It's a, some say it's 5,000. Some say 4,000. But we're dealing in thousands. You know, how many, you know how many people have been learning Chinese characters? And do you know how many of them did it their own way? None. None of them did it their own way. You want to do it your way. You want to do it your way. You don't get to do it your way. You do not get to do it your way, because no one else got to do it their own way. You understand? Now, just join the team. Do you want to join this team or not? The team of Chinese civilization. You want to join it? You don't want to join it. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. We came all the way over here to be part of this team, and you are going to be part of this team. Do you understand? I tried to make it fun for you. I tried to make it interesting for you, but you didn't want it. You were not interested. You thought it was boring. So now we're not going to do it that way anymore. You know what way we're going to do it? We're going to do it the traditional way. You want the traditional way? That way is when you stop acting like a little spoiled, lazy kid and do what you're supposed to do. One, two, three. Do you understand or not? So after he stopped crying, um, (laughs) there was... A moment there to have a discussion, and I apologized. And, um, and <laughs> I apologized. And uh, I had done exactly the thing that I vowed not to do. And uh, so that was a slip up. But uh, in these kind of occasions, sometimes when you have the hold of tradition, uh, it's just very hard to escape. Thank you. Very hard to escape indeed. Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>